Welcome back to episode 17 of the Fantasy Front Office Podcast for the week of July 31st, the trade deadline of 2017. This week in the front office with me, welcome back, Todd. What's up, guys? And with us, Keith and Phil. We're going to kick off today, as we should, with trade deadline news and, uh, obviously, their fantasy impact. So, Todd, lead us off here because uh, the big trade finally went through Sonny Gray. Yeah, today Sonny Gray got traded, finally went through, and the Athletics were able to net three top 12 prospects from the Yankees. Outfielder Dustin Fowler, who is 77th overall on MLB Pipeline. Infielder, outfielder Jorge Mateo, and James Caprian, a right-handed pitcher. So what do you guys think of Sonny Gray moving from Oakland, which is a great pitcher's ballpark, to New York? Well, for me, Gray was a perfect option for New York based on how many ground balls that he gives. So he... He's going to have a tough road ahead of him, I guess, pitching in the uh, in the AL East. But if anybody can do it, I think uh, I trust what he can do there. The return is pretty interesting as well. James Caprillion, you said, you mentioned going back as a top pitching prospect. Um, injured for the season, I believe. I don't know if it's Tommy John or something else, but he's coming back uh, you know, next year or the year after. So he's out for a while. Jorge Mateo is the one that interests me the most. He's a shortstop prospect that's recently transitioned to the outfield. And he's got you know 50 or 60 steel, steel speed. So he's a guy to watch out for in, in the future. The one thing about Mateo is he just can't hit. He's kind of like Billy Hamilton. They Billy Hamilton was a shortstop too. They moved him to the outfield just because of his speed. I think that's what they're going to do. I think that's kind of more, and we were just talking about it before the podcast, and I think it's pretty safe to say that Roto Leagues are pretty much the only league that I would own uh, a guy like Billy Hamilton. So if you do have a deep dynasty league, it should be a Roto if you're going to hold on to Mateo. Um, Gray, as you were talking about, is going into the AL East, and, and they're not nearly as formidable as they have been in years past. Um, so it's, it's not really that big of a deal to me, but the ballpark jump is the one thing that's different, in my opinion. So uh, that's one thing to look out for. Now, the other big trade that went down today, Yuge Darvish, a couple minutes after the deadline, it was announced, is traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Rangers will receive Willie Calhoun, right, uh, right-handed pitcher Alex Alexi, and infielder Brandon Davis, all three ranked in the top 30 in the Dodgers farm system. Calhoun was number four, so that's the main piece. What do you guys think of Darvish transitioning to the National League? Well, um, I actually just think, honestly, Darvish is kind of hit or miss. He's been hit or miss uh, the last couple of years just because of injury or whatever. But uh, he came back this year and he dominated for, for a while and then out of nowhere just didn't do that great. So I would probably not want to really uh, jump on board if, if there's an ability to trade from or anything like that. I would probably go for something else. Jumping to the National League does probably help out. But at the same time, I don't think that that's really something I would want. Nice for the Dodgers, though. Yeah, I think the Diamondbacks should have been more aggressive. <laughs> um, no, that's my homer hat for a second. But honestly... The, the Dodgers made a great move. They didn't give up nearly as much as the impact that Darvish is going to return for that rotation. It's been a huge loss, you know, losing their best pitcher. And he's going to he's going to pick up and and should, you know, ride them to another teen or 20 wins. Um easily the best team in baseball right now and they just got a lot better so now it wasn't just you that the Dodgers pulled off last minute I think within what 15 minutes they got two bullpen arms both left-handed and Darvish yeah they got the Tonys yeah Tony Watson and Tyson Grande <laughs> and two guys that I think can be impactful arms in that bullpen you know in, in semi-high rev semi-high leverage situations they're they're both not having the greatest years but they're both uh you know Sangrani's a converted starter who's got good swing and miss 
Tony Watson was a closer at some point, and uh, you know they're both going to be pretty impactful as well. Singrani was a closer for a little bit too, but he he's basically a fastball only guy, which is why he's he struggled at times because his location is not the greatest with that fastball. But at the same time, I mean he does have electric stuff, so whenever he is on, he can dominate. And the price to acquire him is pretty good too. Uh, unranked catching prospect and Scott Vince like. Yeah, some of these deals I don't I just don't understand why other teams had to overpay for relief pitching when some teams just barely got him for almost nothing. Yeah, like for example, the next name I wanted to bring up was Brandon Kinsler from the Twins. Uh, the Twins acquired Tyler Watson, a left-handed pitcher, and he's ranked 20th in the Nationals farm system. 18 for the Twins now. And I've actually been getting a lot of questions about uh, Kinsler and what his role is going to be at. You know, I don't think he's going to go in there and close. And several people were asking me, you know, if he gets traded to the Nationals, do you think he's going to close? And, and the answer is no. I still think Doolittle is probably my favorite person to own in that bullpen. And I know Ryan Matson is you know, right, you know, breathing down his neck. And he's a righty, so which gives him a better chance of, of closing games. But um, Kinsler is going to be the, you know, the setup guy or fit somewhere into that seventh or eighth inning spot. But he doesn't have the strike strikeouts and the swing and miss stuff necessarily to, to really be a, a high-end closer. So uh, he's probably not my pick in that. No, the order I'm hearing is Doolittle, Kinsler, uh, Madsen. And that's what I would expect, too, I think. It, but the problem is, I might even rather own Brad Hand right now than Sean Doolittle. Because as soon as if you have to own one or the two, Brad Hand is so much more secure in his job as the closer of the, oh, of the yeah. Padres. Yeah. And you have Doolittle. If Doolittle gives up two un- two run runs tonight, he's gone. It's Ryan Matson. Like, it's that quick. <laughs> he gave up three runs the other day. And even though I think he's the best pitcher out of all these guys, he's left-handed, which means he has an easy out as far as, you know, wanting to play him against lefties or play the matchups or something like that. So I think Doolittle's the best person to own in that bullpen, but I'd rather own a guy like Brad Hand, who's been very, very good this year, and maybe just isn't going to give you as many save opportunities. Yeah, I agree with you there. The security. Now, the next name, the Mets got a pretty good haul for him. And we'll talk about all the Mets moves right here. Addison Reed was traded to Boston today for three prospects, all right-handed arms, ranking within the 20 to about 35 rank um, in the Red Sox system. Do you think Addison Reed has any value going down the stretch? In a holds league, yeah. I mean, he holds yeah. some value or, or a league where you're deep enough to have several relief pitchers on your roster where um, just those ratios and the, the nice strikeouts, they'll help. But... Other than that, probably not. Just a standard save league. I think you got to just cut bait. Yeah, I would agree with that. He's had a really good season. I mean, his whip is, is fairly low. He's got a fair amount of strikeouts and a lot of appearances this year. So it's... You know, it's uh, a lot of guys lost closers today as far as moves getting made. So yeah. Another team that lost a closer, the Tigers, with Justin Wilson heading to Chicago with Alex Avila. They were able to get the Cubs' new number one prospect, Jamil Candelario, who plays first and third, and then a top ten prospect in Isaac Paredes, who's a shortstop. So question there would be, who's going to get the ball in the ninth now for the Tigers, and what do you think of Justin Wilson's value now? Well, Justin Wilson's value is diminished. You know, I don't think he's going to take over the closer role. Um, the one thing about uh, the, it was a shortstop pro- prospect, right? The Paredes, I think that's his name. But what I was hearing about him this morning from one of the MLB pipeline guys is he seems to be major league ready. Um, so I think they may have got a better return in that deal than what they uh, what they thought because Chicago seems to be giving up a lot of their future. I'm not saying that he was necessarily a future guy for them because they got so many you know infielders that are kind of blocking him right now. But they're starting to shorten that uh, window a little bit the past uh, four to six weeks. So it's interesting moves by the by the Cubs. And that is something yeah. to watch. Um, just yeah, real that's quickly. What, that's, the, that's the one thing about the Cubs is that I just don't fully understand. Like, they were supposed to have a dynasty and pretty much traded their dynasty, quote-unquote, away. Unless they're going to start paying players. Uh, I just don't really get what they did. They gutted their whole farm system in, like, a year. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, and which yeah. that's that's the purpose of having a farm system. It's one of you know one of two things: either you trade your farm system to acquire win now assets, or you you grow them um, to to win you know forever. But the Cubs, I thought last year at this point, like you're saying, Phil, that they were going to win for seven years right. because they had so many players under control. But they've done the exact opposite. I think they've shrank their window down to like a three year window, including last year. So you know, I don't think, and I think their front office, from my opinion, thinks that same way based on the moves that they're making that they have a shorter window than than what they think so where the Braves I feel like are going to continue to acquire assets and, and grow a little bit longer the the Cubs seem to be in a win now mentality which they should be they won the World Series last year so they're, they're going for it I mean you can't really knock them for it but yeah the six-year dynasty that I thought was around the corner last year is, is shrinking down to you know a, a three-year dynasty in my opinion now moving on one of the more surprising moves AJ Ramos heading to the Mets uh the Marlins got two mid-level prospects for him but what do you guys think of Ramos being the closer for the Mets and with Familia also coming back maybe in September and for the future. I don't understand the Mets. <laughs> and you know they're they're starting to get into 2000, you know, 9 through 2014 Raiders territory for me. I just don't understand what the front office is doing. Every, you know, few days we get another rumor out of that front office that's just it's weird and I just don't understand it. Good news they uh we just talked about it last week, but they uh they're going to call up Ahmed Rosario. I so. was going to say they finally yeah. made they, a solid they, move. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it solid if you waited until, you know, August 1st to call them up, but uh, agreed. That's 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 kind yeah. of why don't give them, why don't give them too much credit. They're in. Right, he pretty much forced his way on the roster. They didn't. They weren't like, oh, let's go on a limb and let's call Ahmed Rosario. He's like, when am I going to get called up, guys? You know. Hmm. So, uh, but anyways, so yeah, I, I'm kind of on board with that. Uh, they are just kind of a, a dumpster fire, and it's kind of fun to watch from the outside. We also kind of skipped over a move there that the Cubs made. It wasn't just Wilson that they acquired; they also acquired Alex Avila. I mean, a left-handed bench bat is that what, or like backup catcher? Because Wilson Contreras is dominating right now. Why would they sit him? Yeah, it was a curious move. And also the fact that I believe this is the first time it's happened, but a father has traded away his own son. <laughs> like literally traded his own son. I think he traded him once before, didn't he? <laughs> I'm serious. I think, didn't he trade him a couple of years ago and then re-sign him just like last year or something? I believe so. I gotta Maybe. look this up. Sorry, you guys keep talking. I'll find this. It, and I know this is probably gonna be an unpopular opinion. and It sounds like we're railing on the, the the Cubs and we're not but I, I kind of feel like this is a sell high opportunity for Wilson Contreras for a few reasons one the underlying numbers to me for Wilson Contreras don't speak of a person who has the production that he's put forward last year it comes down to plate discipline it comes down to power off the bat I just don't trust in what Contreras has been doing recently seven home runs in the last 84 at bats I don't think that's who he is and so for me, when they bring in Alex Avila and you consider how many options they have in the outfield, I again start to question how much regular playing time Contreras has. And if I think he's in for a little bit of a slump in the next you know, two months and he does hit that slump, Alex Avila's had a very, very good season offensively. There's no reason why they wouldn't pick the spots, certain spots and give Avila at bats over Contreras or kind of spell him if he does start to slump a little bit. I could see that. I could see that. But the thing about it is, is that I just think Contreras is just a much better defensive catcher. And and I think that's what the Cubs need. Uh, Because they're not as great defensively as they were. I mean, they're not 
they're they're towards the middle or the bottom of the pack if you look at defensive run saved and metrics and, and different things like that. So as a team, they need his defense. Um, but I did check it out. Uh, I was wrong. Avila was not traded before. He was just not given a contract by his dad and <laughs> granted, granted free agency. So uh, they just didn't even try to re-sign him. They just... So sticking with the catcher theme, the Rockies got Jonathan Lucroy for just a player to be named later. So we don't know the return yet. What do you guys think of Lucroy? He's had a down season, but now he's going to be hitting at Coors in that lineup. I mean, last year he was traded for, was it Lewis Brenton? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who else? There was another guy part of that deal too. It was um, another outfielder. Yeah. yeah, that that to me is just unbelievable. That a year later, the same guy has one bad year and just they're yeah. acting like he fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. Um, I mean, he kind of has, but at the same time, you got to think that potential's there. The weird thing about that trade too. Well, I think this is a, go ahead, Keith. I was gonna say the, the the thing about this is it's a it's a clean slate for Lucroy. He gets an opportunity that a lot of major leaguers don't get at this point in the season is a literal start over point. He gets to walk into a new clubhouse, high five new guys that that are excited about him to be on the club. He gets to hit in an environment that everybody loves hitting in. And so he can kind of reset. And so I want to buy in more on Lucroy. He has the offensive skills to be a top three catcher in baseball. And so I, I do want to buy into him. It's a it's a kind of a, a downer for Tom Murphy. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a good opportunity for him to just to reset and be able to hit. How long does uh, Lucroy have still on that contract? He's a free agent next year. Oh, so, so he's just a, a rental for Murphy. Yeah. Oh, well, that makes yep. a little more sense then. Yeah. Now, now it just doesn't make as much sense why you would trade two years of uh, Jonathan Lucroy for Lewis Brenton plus, but I guess I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm just thinking backwards now. And the, the funny thing about that trade is it was Lucroy and Jeremy Jeffress, and they just traded Jeffress back to Milwaukee today right. for an unranked prospect. And they got uh, Luis Ortiz in that deal as well, who's a, yeah. a good pitching prospect who's major league ready at this point. All right. Well, we're, we've got a home team here on the, uh, <laughs> on the show, and the D-backs were kind of silent beyond – J.D. Martinez. But I guess J.D. was the big splash, and uh, at the deadline was more or less just filling needs because we already had Ahmed down for a while, and Chris Owings on a bunt attempt this weekend fractured his finger, just had surgery, and he's now on the 60-day DL. So what we thought was a strength in the middle infield for the D-backs is now all of a sudden just a weakness. Um, Kettle Marte had to run back to his home because because his mother passed away just kind of out of the blue. So they're really short-handed. So they made a deal with Oakland for Adam Rosales. Not a huge impact bat, but can hold down most uh, multiple positions with plus glove work all over the infield. And he can see a lot of the bats too. Uh, Brandon Churry's been benched pretty much. He's sat for the last five games, and I don't think he's going to hit in a while. So, I mean, he he's going to get playing time for the Diamondbacks. It's going to be probably Descalso and Rosales up the middle which who would have thought that would happen in august but and there's a life lesson in here and the life lesson is kids never bunt just hit dingers <laughs> or learn chris, to bunt correctly chris owings out for eight weeks is pretty brutal he was having somewhat of a breakout season he, he had a pretty good season last year in the outfield for the diamondbacks but he hasn't seen as many regular bats as he has this year 
And I think the biggest winner, if there is one, is actually Cattell Marte. He's been hitting very, very well. I think he's got four home runs in his last, you know, 15 or 20 games. Um, he's got some speed. He's going to get regular at bats. And the Adam Rosales thing is probably just a, a seven-day thing for me until Marte gets back from the Dominican Republic. And and uh, hopefully he, you know, can can slot right into that starting lineup and, and hit somewhere in the, you know, the sixth or seventh spot, which is not a predominant spot in the lineup. But still, the lineup's going to turn over. He's going to get plenty of opportunities to score runs and drive guys in. So I, I think he's an actual winner. I, I was asked yesterday, you know, who do I pick up now that Owings is down? And it was kind of a deep league. And, and my response was Marte. And I know he's going to be out for, you know, probably five or, or six games here with the bereavement list. And, you know, uh, definitely thoughts and, and prayers are out for the Marte family. That's a, a terrible loss. And but, you know, I think he's the one who I would suggest to pick up. I think he's got enough upside to, to produce, and he's going to get regular bats when he returns. And to think he was pretty much kind of just a throw-in with Taiwan Walker in the Segura trade. Yeah, he's going to get his opportunity. And he was kind of, you know, hitting his way onto a, a starter role. Like you had mentioned, Todd, he was, you know, us in here in Arizona that watch the games every day were already thinking, well, you know, Drury's about ready to lose his spot here pretty yeah. soon. And they were going to slide Owings over to second base probably and, and let Cattell Marte be an almost an everyday player. So, you know, this opens up a spot for him and, and Rosales is going to be a utility bat and, and he'll be in the lineup probably for the next five days. And after that, I, I don't expect him to get regular bats. He's not a he's not a guy that, you know, really brings his bat to the to the game. He He's a utility infielder and, and a decent one at that. But. You know, Marte, I think, is the biggest winner in this uh, in this deal. Yeah, and it's a little unfortunate that Ahmed, Owings, and Robbie Ray got hurt against Phil's Cardinals. So, just throwing it out there. <laughs> I'm calling foul. <laughs> I, I was I was there when uh, Taiwan, what did he strike out, like 10 or so? Yeah. And then Marte hit a home run. So, I don't, I don't know. It was, uh, it was it was not a great series for us either. <laughs> well, and, and they you, also... You are. Yeah. They also strengthened their bullpen today. Kind of an out-of-the-blue uh, reunion of sorts after... After they were out on the Kinsler uh, bidding and picked up David Hernandez again. Which I think is a low-key solid move. I, I don't think I really wanted Brandon Kinsler and what he was going to bring to the Diamondbacks because they weren't going to slot him in to the ninth inning anyways. That's Rodney's job until he completely implodes and they designate him for assignment. So bringing in a guy like David Hernandez who has pitched really well in, in the Diamondbacks organization in the past and is having a pretty good season, you know, he'll probably slot into the, the seventh inning right you know, right in front of Bradley and still behind Rodney, but that's a you know low-key good move for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, he has a 2-2-3 ERA in the season. Uh, Hernandez has bounced around for a while, but really had a nice season for the Angels so far. That's a good ad for the Diamondbacks. And they've gone for a century free, so that's nice. Well, the Rockies got Lucroy for free. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. player to be named later, but the Diamondbacks pretty much got him free. Yeah. All right. Will that wrap up our trade talk? Yep. I think we're good. Sweet. All right. And on to our next topic, Phil with some statistical leaders and losers. So I was digging a little deeper and was looking at uh, some VIP minus ERA uh, leaderboards. So um, yeah, some people to kind of target, I guess I'll say loosely, and uh, some people to kind of try to avoid, I guess, again, I'll say loosely. Um, the thing about these guys is that some of them are obvious, uh, so let's kind of bear with me. So starting pitchers, uh, guys that kind of are being unlucky this year, I guess I'll say. Um, Bartolo Colon, let me actually pull this up. Sorry, guys. I had it pulled up. There we go. Uh, Bartolo Colon has, you know, been very, very unlucky this year. Uh, obviously, he's got a 7.7 ERA, so we don't really need to talk about him too much. He's the number one on the 
the list. Uh, number two on the list uh, for starting pitchers, I kind of broke it down with at least 75 innings pitched this year so far, um, is going to be Jeff Smarja. So the Shark actually has a FIP that is 1.36 higher than his ERA this year. Um, he's leading the major leagues in uh, strikeout to walk ratio. So that's pretty obvious why. Uh, what do you What are you guys thinking about him so far this year? Uh, it, it, what's going on? Why is he actually uh, pitching so bad compared to what his FIP says? So I'll jump in on Samarja, and I actually acquired him in our main league um, just a few days ago, and he's had a couple bad starts, you know, sprinkled in with some good ones, and that seems to be his MO for the entire season. He'll have uh, a start where he gives up, you know, six earned runs, kind of un, you know, unlucky like you're saying, Phil, and then he'll he'll go out and dazzle for a couple games and, and give up like one run and strike out seven and walk one. And so just, so just to clarify for those who are listening who don't know what FIP is, it's fielding independent pitching. And so it's, it's a fancy way of factoring in, you know, defensive um, errors and ballpark factors and all those things that pitchers really don't control to show what a true pitcher, you know, ERA should be. Um, is that the right way to explain it, Phil? Is that what kind of what your, uh, your thoughts are? Well, the thing about FIP is, is it doesn't have anything to do with defense. So basically it just breaks down anything that the pitcher can allow. So it penalizes you very heavily for home runs, um, walks and hit by pitches. It also penalizes you for, but it also gives you uh, a nice boost um, if you get strikeouts. So people that have high strikeout rates are going to be, you know, pretty low uh, FIPS compared to their ERA typically. Um, people that have a lot of fly balls are typically going to have FIPS that are lower than their ERA uh, or FIPS that are higher than their ERA. Sorry. Um, just different things like that are kind of a, a rule of thumb. But if you want to actually look at the actual calculations, go to fan graphs. It kind of breaks down uh, how much a home run weights versus uh, a walk or a hit by pitch, um, different things like that. So it doesn't consider any hits. It's just home runs, walks, hit by pitch, and strikeouts are really the only things that it considers. Okay. And then the thing that I like about, uh, you know, the thing that I like about uh, Samarja is, you know, I run stats all the time. And one of the stats that I like to look up is strikeouts minus walks or strikeout percentage minus walk percentage to show, you know, what pitchers are truly in control and have enough swing and miss to, to get batters out. And Jeff Samarja, although he has a, a bad ERA that we're talking about right now, he consistently shows up behind guys like Chris Sale and Kershaw and, you know, all the top pitchers in baseball. And he's on that list like three or four consistently throughout the entire season. So, you know, he's been one of the guys that I've wanted to target, you know, throughout the whole season. I finally got him past week. I gave up Jose De Leon a one day or a one dollar De Leon who has, has slid down the prospect ranks and I acquired Samarja for four dollars in, in a dynasty league. So, and I couldn't be more excited. I think he's going to be good the rest of the season, and I think he's going to be good even next year as well. Because if you look at pitchers that were unlucky last year and had the biggest gap between their FIP and their ERA, you're looking at guys like Robbie Ray, like Chris Davinsky, um, like John Gray, who hasn't had a good season this far, like Aaron Nola, who's pitching very, very well right now. Those are all guys that had a big disparity between their FIP and their ERA last year, and a changing, you know, changing of the year has has change their luck quite a bit so i like samarja absolutely um another guy on the list uh this guy is kind of another one that's kind of obvious is going to be trevor bauer um he is actually his difference is 1.35 so these numbers are actually pretty big so think about cutting a, a run and a half off their era um dropping it down to 3.9 you got trevor bauer the 3.9 era you're thrilled right now um but the thing about it is again is these two guys in particular it seems like that kind of nibble 
So they don't give up the home runs as much, but they give up a lot of solid hard contact um, and and walks. Uh, well, not Samarja as much. Samarja looks like he just kind of just throws them down the middle almost, and just you know that's what strikes guys out because his stuff's so nasty. But also guys get a lot of hits off of it. Um, Bauer is kind of the same thing, but on the walk side that is, is troublesome on him. Uh, so I think that that's kind of what's holding up his uh, his or holding up his ERA versus his FIP. Uh, what are you guys thinking about for uh, Trevor Bauer? So Bauer for me, what I hate about him is you you brought up that he he nibbles. And I think he nibbles a whole lot more than Samarja does. He seems to be one of the least effective pitchers in baseball. And what I mean by that is when you look at like pitches per inning and how many pitches it takes on average to, for a guy to get three outs, Trevor Bauer's among the you know five or six worst in baseball, which makes me think you know a few things. One, like you mentioned, he he doesn't pitch to enough contact. He tries to strike out too many batters which is why at some point this season he had a, a K per nine of like 14, which is insane for a starter to have. You know, uh-huh. you see that type of stuff in a relief pitcher. But Bowers had a, a 14 or 13 or 15 K per nine at some point of the season. And, and that's crazy because you would think somebody that dominant would be able to get out of an inning with, you know, five, six, you know, not having to throw 25 pitches, but he does that consistently. And it really hurts his value because he doesn't pitch deep enough in the games to get wins. Although he gets a lot of strikeouts in short bursts, he doesn't pitch like into the seventh or eighth or ninth inning, you know, like, like some guys do, like the workhorses. And even though, you know, Justin Verlander, who's having a bad season of his own, doesn't pitch, you know, he pitches consistently in the seventh or eighth inning. His K per nine is probably about half of what his is, but I just don't like how inconsistent he is. And, and Bauer is kind of a frustrating person for me to own because although I see how talented he is, I just don't know if he's ever going to put it together. Yeah, consistency has always been the problem with Trevor Bauer. Uh, his last start when eight innings gave up an earned run and he'll get you excited and the next start he'll go out and give up six runs of four innings uh one thing with him is this year it just feels like he's pitching a little bit more with like a reliever mentality where his curveball rate is at a career high at almost 30 percent uh, from the teens pretty much in the past and it's just every he throws a lot of pitches to every batter and something that he doesn't get deep into games and gets a lot of walks and just one big hit usually undoes him so you know Bauer he's so inconsistent but you know the the strikeout potential is amazing he's a guy who I kind of look at and say I think he's a reliever when it's all sent down I think he'd be best utilized in that role but and I'd agree with you I think he's their fifth best starter I think if you look at you know, Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar pitching well back in the rotation. Um, Clevenger has been very, very well of late. I know he's pitching today. I don't know what his line is, but I think he's their fifth best starter. Not good. I think not good. No. Well, that's that's two consecutive bad outings for Clevenger. Yeah. So that maybe that changes things a little bit. But I still think I'd rather own Clevenger right now than Trevor Bauer. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh, I mean, at least with Bauer, he gets strikeouts. Like that's a given. Uh, yeah, and, and and Bauer has the pedigree. I mean, wasn't he like a top five pick? Yeah, yeah that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. Uh-huh. A well, pedigree, it it, a pedigree I mean, at twenty seven I mean, years old doesn't mean much to me when you've been pitching in the majors for almost five years. I mean, it does, but it doesn't because he was kind of played with. I mean, he got called up to the majors, then got traded, got called back or got sent back down. I mean, he's had stuff going on, and it just seemed like. Him and uh, it was it was you, you guys the Diamondbacks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It, it seemed like the front office just didn't get along with him, so it seemed like they kind of played head games with him and wasn't and that then shipped him shipped him off. Wasn't that Kevin Towers? Yeah. So Kevin Towers yeah. drafted him, and then a year later said he didn't like his antics and stuff, which he did his whole career at UCLA. But that's a but, whole story we could get into. But but, <laughs> but that's the thing is so I don't know I I just give the guy kind of a little bit of a pass on a couple of those years. It seems like he's been coming kind of more into his own the last couple of years and. Sometimes it takes d- bigger pitchers. I mean, he's, he's a bigger dude. Uh, time to, to fill out and 
to get their mechanics to sync up with everything with their whole body. So I would well, I would pick him over uh, Clevenger for sure. Well, ba- no, Bowers is pretty small actually though. He's really? he's a six foot guy. Yeah, well, I thought he was he's about six, six or six five. No, he's six foot two hundred. So he's a little guy. Too. He uh, I mean, he's one of those guys. He has five or six pitches, and there's just a lot going on. And consistency has always been an issue for him. And, and he's got five or six pitches, yeah. and he thinks he has nine or ten pitches. <laughs> and those nine right. or ten pitches that he thinks he has has twelve different arm slots. And like you're saying, Todd, he just it, consistency is terrible for him. Just putting it all together, and I think he has the talent to be to be good. But I, I think long term, honestly, he's going to be a pretty dominant reliever. I think if you put yeah. him into a, a, a one inning role, you let him go out there and throw his nine pitches, throw one of each, and four different arm slots, and you know go crazy for 15 pitches, he could be absolutely dominant. But you know, going 90 pitches and trying to nibble as much as he does, I just don't think he's effective. Serious question though: if he didn't have that stupid uh, injury in the playoffs last year god that's just ridiculous anyways um but so if he didn't have that do the cubs actually win the world series you think because i mean you give kluber a little bit more rest you give miller a little bit more rest uh you know shaw all, all their all their relievers get just a little bit more rest and are a little bit sharper probably would have helped the bullpen a lot i mean kluber would have thrown one four and seven no matter what definitely right. would have would have helped the bullpen out he was uh i mean all their, other, all their other pitchers went like three innings yeah all their other, all their other starts that's not a joke like that's legitimate yeah because i threw the ball pretty well in the playoffs last year and even he got to see some relief roles too in the alcs which he thrived in but yeah. it's, it's it's a consistent and he it's just Everything at Trevor Bauer is so weird. I mean, the drone, he cut his finger playing with his drone in the World <laughs> Series. And he's a guy, great Bauer outage on Twitter. Awesome follow. He's a strange dude, he's, but it's fun. Very, but, very. See, yeah. I, think, I think that's why I root for him probably is because oh, yeah. just he's, he's a good dude. And that's that's kind of probably why I root for him more than anything. I, um, I'm the owner of a Trevor Bauer Dimeback jersey in my closet. So, boy. a little bit. But. Better than a Greg Bird one. What? Oh. Oh. What? Um, it was a t-shirt, all right? I didn't invest. <laughs> enough into a jersey it was a jersey <laughs> and this part jersey and this jersey. part of the program brought to you by the new york yankees and greg bird <laughs> exactly we are a yankees podcast by the way um so oh wait we were supposed to be a red sox podcast this week yeah you I messed that up messed like up oh come on all right anyways yeah, we'll, we'll so so those are those are going to be the guys that are loosely guys to kind of target for you know a second half that's going to be better than the first half at least um, guys that are potentially going in the opposite direction. So number one for starting pitchers on this list is a Cardinal, Lance Lynn. Um, I was hoping the Cardinals would trade him. That did not happen. Uh, so we're going to watch him implode in the second half and have an ERA <laughs> close to an, an ERA close to five if his, uh, if his FIP is correct. So um, the 3.2 ERA is kind of smoke and mirrors at this point. So he, they, Cardinals are a team that typically do do uh, their FIP, as they say. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Um, but but on some real stuff, uh, their ERA typically are is a little bit lower than their FIP uh, across the team. But 1.62, uh, you know, earned run difference is, is quite a bit of a difference. So what are you guys thinking about him? I'm a homer, and I want him to do good. But now, actually, because I wanted them to trade him. Is he an August trade candidate? Like, obviously, just about everyone's going to get passed through waivers and see what happens. But is, is his salary something that would 
would encourage that as to why a, nobody picked him up? He's a free agent at the end of the year, so he was just a, he was just a rental. But I think I think the biggest scare is is that uh, well, number one, the Cardinals are just stubborn and they don't ever really make deals that make sense to anybody. They've made like one good deal and forever uh, the Matt Holiday trade yeah. nine years ago, uh, legitimately, <laughs> um, and the Scott Rowland trade before that, and then the Mark McGuire trade before that. But other than that, those they, the Cardinals have had the worst history of trading um so yeah it just sucks but anyways so to answer your kind of question uh, no lance lynn uh is not have, does not have a bad contract um he's a guy that I, I i thought would be somebody that would easily be traded him and someone oh but i guess the cardinals think that they have a chance but i don't know if they have eyeballs because i don't think they have a chance so all right so, so you mentioned the difference between his era and his fip um it's, it's pretty monstrous 1.62 difference is huge right so his fip is showing almost five which is what 50, i consider it 50 percent higher than what his actual era is we'll put it that way yeah 50 percent how which is which wow. is a huge monster and the thing that i'm looking at too is his home run per nine is 1.5 this season which is twice what his his career you know average is and he still maintains a 3.20 era so to me that almost tells me that he could you're right he could implode and have a five plus era the rest of the season he had an extremely good start to the season um and it's like he's tapered off a little bit but the era doesn't reflect that so i expect that definitely to catch up and maybe you know the, the the likelihood that he pitches the entire season and maintains that large of a gap between his era and fip is very unlikely i mean you look at the guys that had gaps of of one or more there was about five last year in all of baseball so that big of a gap is is huge i would be scared away absolutely and it's it's not going to be the fip that comes down i'll put it that way um so the next guy that i want to talk about is urban santana he's actually pretty close uh to the same level they're right next to each other uh so he is 1.57 uh worse or better than his fip is so i mean his era is 337 and earlier in the year he was you know rocking a two era for most of the year so the fact that he got it up to almost three and a half already is is alarming by itself and then add that to the fact that his fip is you know pretty much five so uh i would easily envision an era from here out of five uh that that's kind of my over under what are you guys thinking about that yeah in his last month he has a 4.68 era and he's given up nine runs in his last 10 innings so the reading's been on the wall for urban santana he's had just a real tough month you know last 25 innings five starts so i think he's going to continue the trend in that direction it's just especially lately it hasn't been looking good he had one full year of awesomeness and i think the fairy dust yeah. ran out well it's interesting you mentioned pixie dust because i've been talking about on on air and in, in memphis the past like three months expecting the pixie dust to to run out for Santana and finally it has the past you know six weeks or so um it was smoke and mirrors to begin the season I can't believe he lasted as long as he did like you were saying Phil with an ERA of of two and a half it was his ERA was sub two for the first I think eight weeks of the season right he was he had the best ERA in baseball I think at one point for for a healthy you know two or three weeks and so for his ERA to be you know climbing as high as it is right now it's you know in my opinion it's about time I can't believe he's 93 percent owned and I know pitching has been bad but man that still seems really high for me i agree with that too oh yeah um all right so the next guy is kind of loosely um kind of bear with me on this one uh sorry 
God, I just got lost. Do you need me to talk about Greg Bird right now? No, no, no. Hold on. I found oh, okay. uh, no, no, no. Absolutely not. Actually, as as long as it's um, I won't even go there. Never mind. <laughs> I, I think know, I've been you know where I was. You the, know where I was gonna go. Too. I, I've been beating up enough on the Greg Bird thing, so I think we can you know give me a pass until at least the, the season starts next year and we start talking about him again. You guys can beat me up again at that point. Well, that's Free not pass. who I was Free even pass. gonna go with this time. I, I was gonna say as long as you don't talk about Joey Gallo. <laughs> What's wrong with Joey Gallo? Oh, yikes. Um, is his average up to 230 yet? His average doesn't need to be up to 230. He's going to hit 32 home runs. Sorry, there that was, was the, a bet on that it. Was the, that was the over-under on the How's bet. How's uh, Julio, uh, Julio Urias doing? Yeah, so um, <laughs> I've essentially opted out of that bet from like day one because I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. Uh, so that one that was not the greatest. Do but over. anyways, you know, what, you know what else is not the greatest? Dallas Keuchel's uh, FIP versus his ERA. Ooh. Did you know cool. that his ERA is 1.37 lower than his FIP is? Which you wouldn't think would be that alarming uh, since, you know, his ERA is uh, 1.94. But really, that kind of makes him a mediocre pitcher at 3.31 ERA if, if his, they both align right. Um, I would honestly say that you probably kind of almost not split the difference, but um, somewhere kind of closer to the FIP side, so maybe a 3 ERA. Um, but without the strikeouts, he's just not a guy that is an ace. And I think that he was like coveted as that earlier in the season. Um, but so I just think I would kind of stay away from that for like long-term keeper leagues kind of thing. Uh, what are you guys thinking about Dallas Keuchel? As a proud Dallas Keuchel owner in uh, in my main league, um, I don't care. I think <laughs> well, I, you're... I mean you have like the top eight pitchers in that league. So no, 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 no. no, no. I, do, I don't don't have the top eight pitchers. I did trade Kershaw for Severino. I have uh, I think seven of the top fifteen the last couple weeks. I have seven of a lot of the top fifteen pitchers. I think or sixteen pitchers. Yeah, has Kershaw picked up a baseball in the last few weeks? I think he has, hasn't he? No, I don't think so. No, he was throwing in the outfield like two days ago. That counts. Yeah, he's, he's doing like light tossing right now. That, oh. That's what I heard. He just can't bend over to tie his shoes. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't need uh, Kershaw. They have uh, they have you. You. All right. So um, <laughs> anybody else have anything about uh, Dallas Keuchel? Going once, Bueller. Going Bueller. twice, Bueller. He has a great right. beard. You he know does what? Have, he does have a very great beard. Absolutely correct. <laughs> but I'm going to give you guys a bonus one for this because we uh, really didn't talk about Dallas Keuchel, and I figured we would. So let me throw another one out. Um, Gio Gonzalez. Uh, Mr. Almost No-No tonight, actually. Uh, 1.29 difference between his FIP and his ERA and the bad side. Um, so what are we thinking? When is this uh, Pixie Dust going to run out? I mean, the thing with Gio Gonzalez is that he was really bad last season. I mean, in the offseason this like, year. Terrible bad. Yeah, the Nationals were just saying anyone who wants his contract can take him, and no one took his... $10.5 million contract. So, I mean, I've been shocked. A 2-1-8 ERA, probably lower after today's outing, but I, I don't think he's going to keep this up. I don't think. Yeah, I, I consider FIP to be like reality and ERA to be, you know, not reality. So when you tell me that a guy like Gio Gonzalez, who I wasn't high on coming into the season, and I just started to kind of come around on to like, you know what, maybe he's better than I think he is. And then you tell me that his his FIP is 1.3 lower than his ERA. Like I go back the other direction. So I'm I'm back on selling because I just I I just now coming around to the fact that maybe he's better than I think he is. Um, so that that definitely is alarming to me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. His FIP is 4.1. His it, ERA he, is. To, to be eight, fair, if you're eight, if you're a you know Geo owner, to be fair, he he pitches um, for the Nationals who score I think 16 runs a game. I'm not exactly sure how many runs it is, but it's uh. 
it's close to 16 or 16.4 i believe is the official uh, reading there so he doesn't need to uh to, to you know pitch very well to get a, a ton of wins so you know that's a that's an ad that's an ad all right all right that is going to be uh the digging deep on stats um kind of the fip winners and losers versus their era excellent well let's dive into the mailbag real quick this one comes in from bob well with all the closers changing hands who do i cut loose Cassia or Bedrosian? Go through the list one more time for me, sir. Uh, Castilla or Bedrosian? Who do I cut loose? I would probably cut, cut loose on and Castillo just because I don't think he's as good of a pitcher. But and Bedrosian's spot isn't as secure, though. So I guess probably, uh, realistically, I would flip a coin. Well, Bud Norris didn't get dealt, right? So doesn't that make him the closer in, in Anaheim? Yeah, he's yeah. still the closer. So I would, I think Bedrosian well, yeah, is the that, guy that I would cut loose. Yeah, because, I mean, Casilla, he's the closer. So he's going to get the saves. Not a very good pitcher, but he's going to get the saves. Bedrosian's going to be a seventh-eighth inning guy. And also, young guy, arbitration year is coming up. You probably don't want him to get the saves. So probably Casilla. I would keep. So that would cut Bedrosian. I agree. Cool. I concur. All right. This one comes in from Travis. Um, let's see. There's quite a list here. Uh, Why don't you give us, like, uh, the top five there, and we'll pick from the top five. So I believe he just lost Jordan Montgomery, um, or we're we're, we're guessing that he's going to get cut from the rotation there. The, the Yankees probably won't run a six-man rotation with the addition yeah, of Sonny Gray. So they've actually said they're not. Okay, so, so he's probably the ad, the odd man out there. So he's sending us a list of uh, pitchers to try and decide who to pick up. So why don't you give us like the top six, and we'll pick one or two that we like. All right. Well, going off this list, uh, Jeremy Hellickson, uh, Bridwell from out in Anaheim, Dylan Bundy, Dan Straley, or... Uh, Andrew Kashner, or even Francisco Liriano. Let's throw him in on, in there, going to Houston. All right, I'm actually going to go completely off your list since I didn't like any of those names. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so the, the, a couple other guys that he put on there, and he just took a screenshot of his, you know, what uh, waiver wire looks like for his league. So um, the guy that I'm actually most intrigued by is either Vince Velasquez or Adam Conley, both for upside. Because when you're when you're in this bin, and I guess Dan Straley is probably a guy that I'd be most interested in as far as consistency. We've talked about him several times in the podcast. Can we call him a friend of the podcast, Jeremy? I would assume so. He's my friend, well, at least. Well, then we can call him a friend of the podcast. So I would pick friend of the podcast, Dan Straley, uh, for consistency. But if you're looking for upside, then I would go Vince Velasquez or Adam Conley. Yeah, I mean, Adam Conley and Vince Velasquez are, are the two that kind of stuck out to me just because of the same reason. I mean, upside is immense, and, and when you're picking up the last guy of the roster, I mean, some people go floor, some people go upside. I'm, I'm the type of guy that I'm always going to chase the upside because what if you catch, you know, Corey Kluber the year before he became the Cy Young? Uh, he had a miserable first half, had a good strikeout rate, and they just came out of nowhere and dominated, has dominated ever since. So, And uh, I think Velasquez has just as much, I don't want to say upside, but if you look at what Severino did last year and what Carlos Rodon did last year and what Vince Velasquez did last year, those guys were all in a similar class, you know, immense stuff, you know, absolute nasty pitches, but they weren't doing much with them. Velasquez fits into that mix. You know, it depends on is he is it going to click for him at some point? Can he pitch to a little more contact? Will he figure out how to be in the strike zone? If he does, I think his upside is, you know, probably top 30, not not probably top 15, top 20. But I think he can be a top 25, top 30 starter. But he's got to cut down on the walks. He's, you know, he's got the swing and miss stuff, but he just walks way too many batters, which is the same problem with Carlos Rodon. Yeah, I like those two guys, too. And on the list, Dan Straley, definitely safest guy. 3.76 ERA this year, 3.79 last year. So he's, he's a safe 
safest bet. One name I do like on that list is Jared Goff. And in four of his last five starts, he's given up two or less runs. And in the start where he didn't, he struck out eight guys. So maybe he's turning a corner. He was kind of a sleeper guy before the season. So that'd be a name I would probably add if I was him right now. But something to look at. This one's coming in from Taha. And who is the closer to own in Minnesota? He just lost two of his closers, Kinsler and Reed, due to being traded. Man, what a great question. I don't know that there is a really <laughs> solid option to own there in Minnesota. We were we were kind of talking about this, you know, before the before the podcast started. There's there's a few guys that have been speculated on, but really nobody that I think can help your team very much. Um, and, and Kinsler wasn't even, I guess, wasn't even that good of a pitcher either. So maybe that's not a good case for for who to pick up, but yeah, nobody that I really trust. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that's one of the situations where, you know, when we talk about the Wolfen breakdown, uh, that you just kind of punt because I would rather have someone get a couple of saves out of that situation with the five ERA, like they're probably going to versus me getting a couple of saves out of that situation <laughs> and getting a five ERA. Um, I'm, I'm completely content with someone actually catching lightning in a bottle on, on that closer situation and, and, you know, maybe getting somebody with a three ERA, which is probably not going to happen from that bullpen. No, I think if we had to speculate, I think we talked about earlier, ESPN is saying uh, Taylor Rogers might be a candidate. And I think, uh, Todd, you mentioned that Fantasy Pros has Matt Belisle as the, as the guy. Yeah, it's yeah, another way around. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, for Taylor Rogers, he's given up uh, 10 runs in his last 11 innings. So he's a little bit of cold stretch and he's a lefty. So, you know, that's a job that ideally they're probably just waiting for Glenn Perkins to eventually get back. But I think even the Twins don't know. Which I heard recently he's, exactly. I think uh, Perkins is probably still three weeks away. I know he's, yeah. I think he's pitching right now or close to pitching, but he hasn't pitched in, you know, any type of leverage situations or even major league games for a very long time so they're gonna be pretty slow with with him coming back uh, but if you had to own somebody the last month of the season my guess is probably on perkins Alrighty, that'll transition us to our third and final topic here keith take it away all right so i'm i'm gonna follow uh pill's lead here and i'm gonna do some some leaders and losers as well and I want to target uh, guys that are, you know, somewhat relevant, some more than others as far as fantasy goes, and look at some some combination stats that you guys probably don't hear anywhere else. Um, so the first one that I want to look at is extra base hits subtract strikeouts. And so the reason why I kind of pull this odd stat, I guess, every once in a while is to just get an idea of the guys that swing hard and have a lot of swing and miss should be giving you power. They're going to swing and miss that much. So guys like Sano and Judge and other guys, if they're going to swing for the fences and they're not going to make solid contact and get as many hits as like a guy like Blackman or Altuve, then they need to be giving you power production. And I equate that to extra base hits. So when you look at extra base hits minus strikeouts for the month of July, the player with the most is, in fact, Jose Altuve. So he's got six more extra base hits than strikeouts, which is just crazy to think about. 15 extra base hits in the month of July, only nine strikeouts. Um, the bottom of that category, if you were to sort by that, is actually Aaron Judge. So Aaron Judge in the month of July has got 38 strikeouts and only seven extra base hits to go along with it. Is that kind of what you guys thought coming into this? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a weird stat, and and this is, you know, Cousin Nolan's going to bring it and make an appearance because he showed it to me. Um, <laughs> Jose, Jose Altuve, there's been um, eight guys or seven guys that have done it but have 
had a batting average of over 500 for a single month, and Jose Altuve was was pretty close to that uh, this month. Uh, it was, I think he ended with like 480 something. So he has been he's the first guy to, to hit over 450, and I think it's like the past like 10 or 15 years uh, in in just a single calendar month. So the fact that he did that and and know that he's been heading for power lately because I just faced him last or two weeks ago and he just absolutely annihilated me in my head to head week. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he's that's not a surprise. And also just the fact that what is Judge batting like one thirty uh, something like that with only a couple home runs since the All Star break. So uh, that that also is not surprising for me. And we talked about it last week. I think what we expect on Judge rest of the season, but. Just that high of a disparity. So if you, when I run that stat, the very top of the list is Jose Altuve at a you know buck seventy two. If when he's soaking wet, and then you have a guy with as much power as Judge is as the very bottom of that list. So that that kind of speaks to me of how streaky Aaron Judge could be. I mean, you saw him hit three forty in the first half of the season. You could see him bat one forty the rest of the season, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, all right, so the next stat that I want to show out is another combination stat, and it's actually strikeouts minus walks. Again, we're focusing on the month of July, and the one that stuck out to me isn't the guy at the top of the list or the bottom of the list. Um, we don't really need to talk about Chris Sale and how amazing he's been. If you own him, you know, congratulations, you're a genius. Um, I want to talk about Aaron Nola and. Aaron Nola has been extremely good in the month of July. He's actually at, at the top of that list. He ranks seven out of 89 qualified um, starting pitchers, and he's got a plus 35 strikeouts as compared to his walks for this uh, for this month. So uh, at the bottom of that list, or very close to the bottom of that list, actually ranked 80th out of 89 pitchers is Marcus Stroman. Does either of those stand out to you guys? Uh, the Marcus Marcus Stroman one does, but I mean he did have a pretty bad month, so I guess it really shouldn't for me. Um, he, he had kind of an off month, I'll say, because, I mean, he's done pretty consistently this year. Yeah, I think his whip this month is, like, floating around one one 1.5, which is pretty terrible, but... Um, I know Phil, you're higher on Stroman than I am, and it, it you know, which is, kind of sounds silly because I'm probably higher on Keuchel than you are, and they're very similar pitchers as far as their ground ball rate and and the way they pitch and you know limit home runs and stuff like that. So, um, are you still as high on Stroman as you know you were a month ago, or are you starting to fade on him a little bit? I mean, the walks are a bit concerning. His last what five outings? It's two, three, three, five, six. So, I mean, it's kind of trending upward. Um, strikeouts have been there, but he's not pitching that. I guess he did go seven point two in, in one of the games, but I mean, his WHIP, like you said, is is not been anything great. He's you know preventing runs. So that's the one thing. I mean, he's only given up three runs uh, time in his last six outings. Uh, the rest of them are either two or one or zero, obviously. Um, so, I mean, he's done very well for himself this year. So I don't think that the overall numbers kind of show it. But I think that it looks like that maybe he's just nibbling a little bit more than he normally does. Okay. Yeah, and then to me, the walks are the biggest difference between uh, Stroman and Keuchel, I guess, is is Keuchel limits walks a lot more than uh, than what Stroman does. Maybe not that much, but it seems like uh, he does. Yeah. yeah. All right. So moving on to the last one that I have um, is actually it's more of a combination stat as far as showing production for the month of July, and it's runs plus RBIs. So if you take your runs that you produced in, in July and you combine that with your RB your RBIs, the four guys that uh, I'm going to talk about, the first three are actually tied for the highest production and that's Stanton, Jonathan Scope and Nolan Arenado. So one of those things is not like the other. What do you guys think about uh, Jonathan Scope as far as his production
production in the month of July. It's pretty surprising. I was I was just watching the intentional talk the other night, and they were showing the Orioles' stats. I didn't realize he was having that good of a season. I mean, he's just been absolutely incredible at second base this year. I know one guy that's uh, hip to his stats in the in the league. Is that Jeremy? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty tuned in. He's been kind of my my sleeper keeper, one could say. Like for the last two three years, I've just kept him, and he's been solid. Um, slowly progressing. I mean, he's only 25, and Phil, you were in Miami, and you ran into him. He's a natural shortstop, and there's rumors yep. he's played he's played four or five games there this year, and they may be transitioning him shortly. Yeah, I, I talked to him about that for a second, or I tried to at least. Um, he was I wasn't supposed to be where I was, so I really wasn't trying to dig too <laughs> deep talking talking to people. Um, but at the same time, whenever I was getting his autograph, I kind of looked at him and I was like, I was like, how do you like playing shortstop? And he just smiled real big. And I was like, you, you're trying to get that shortstop eligibility for next year in fantasy baseball, aren't you? And, uh, and he just kind of looked at me like, yeah, yeah, you got me. Uh, but he smiled, <laughs> he smiled real big when he did it. So he, when he's walking away, I, I just yelled down the hallway. I said, shortstop eligibility. And he turned around and smiled real big to me. And he took another couple of steps, and I yelled it one more time, and he, like, stopped, walked back towards me a couple of steps, smiled get, again, gave me a thumbs up. Because he didn't want to, like, be a bad teammate, I guess, and say, hey, I want to be the shortstop. But at the same time, I mean, you could tell that it, like, it lit his day up for some for him, for someone to come up to him and be like, yo, I could tell you want to be a shortstop, and you'd be good at it kind of thing. Um, so it, it, was, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. So I think that's a fan front office uh, first as far as an exclusive, right? And then we get an exclusive uh, inside into uh, Jonathan Scope, the shortstop of uh, the future for the Baltimore Orioles. Pretty Absolutely. Much. Breaking yeah. news. I like well, it. Also, I think, we... I think Hardy's got, uh, deal expires at the end of this year, too, so we might see it. And, and we managed to get Cousin Nolan in there as well, so... Uh, if you are, if, if you are listening right now, after 59 minutes of us talking, please do me a favor. Tag one of us in a, a post on Twitter using the hashtag uh, cousin Nolan Nolan to let us know that you're still listening. Because I just want to see if anybody's still listening after 59 <laughs> minutes of us talking. So, um, all right, I do have one more. I think. Um, let's see. Nope, that was it. Actually, uh, we can talk about Jose Peraza if you want. He was the bottom of that list uh, nice. in the entire month of July. He played in 24 games, had I think 75 or 85. Played appearances and he only crossed the plate three times. Three runs. Yikes. That's not good. Hey, uh, as good as um, Shoop's been for me, uh, let's just say Peraza's been terrible this year. <laughs> uh, definitely this month, but we're fingers crossed, hoping he kind of rebounds uh, or he's going to be tough to roster most of the rest of the year. And the most painful thing about that, I mean, he has one extra base hit and 75 at-bats. Um, he's popped up to the infield seven times this month. He's got three RBIs. He has zero steals. So he's batting like 253, which is fine. He's not hurting you in batting average but it's an empty 250 batting average with zero steals it's been pretty awful for jose peraza somebody who i was you know pretty interested in at the end of of last year kind of coming into this year i think a lot of people were he kind of rose up drafts at at some point so um pretty terrible by him as far as this month Um, but that's it just kind of some weird combination of stats that hopefully you guys get some value out of um but that's it all righty well that'll wrap up this week's episode todd where can the people find you you can find me at goldie happens all right you can find me at cousin nolan i mean at fantasy <laughs> underscore keith um definitely send in your questions 
questions. We are, I looked the other day, my la- my first fantasy baseball tweet of the season was 209 days ago. Um, so we've all invested a lot of time and energy and efforts into researching and doing analysis. This is the, the payback time right now. Send us all your questions. We want to help you guys win some leagues. Absolutely. And I am Phil and I am at the Baseball Jedi. I feel the same way. You guys uh, tweet at us. Let us know what your questions are, what you want us to talk about even, um, if there's some specific categories or stats or whatever else you're looking for. Um, let us know what you're looking for, and then we'll kind of try to transition and get that on the podcast for you guys. Definitely tweet at the show at Fan Front Office. Make sure to hit us up. Yeah, we may be yep. doing some expansion in writing over on FanFrontOfficePodcast.com for the fantasy football season. So tweet at us what you'd like to see, and we will work on that. I have been Jeremy. You can find me at Front Office Jer, and have a week.